here with uh, the amazing Alan Silvestri, uh, of course, composer of, you don't even need an introduction anymore at this point in your career, I don't think, but, um, uh, you know, we're here to talk about Back to the Future, the musical and the legacy of Back to the Future, um, mm -hmm. but thank you, Al, so much for, for joining today. Well, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to, to spend some time and visit with you. Absolutely. So... Um, before we jump into uh, Back to the Future, um, I want to kind of rewind a bit to last year because you got to work with your friend Bob Zemeckis again on The Witches, which I really thought was a fantastic film, a really fun you know, adaptation. Um, can you just uh, maybe walk through what was it like, again, continuing to work, you know, your collaboration with, with, uh, with Mr. Zemeckis and, and bringing that whole story to life? Well, you know, it's, it's always amazing to work with Robert Zemeckis. I mean, he's... Uh, He's, he's an amazing artist um, and he's a, an amazing collaborator. And he always has these most unique points of view uh, to film and to storytelling. Um, so, you know, uh, there was a lot to do on that film. We, um, we had to record it um, in the midst of the pandemic. Right, I think yeah. I think it might have been the first full-size orchestra recording at Abbey Road in the midst of the pandemic or since the pandemic had begun. Um, Pete Cobham had worked very hard to devise a way to do this. Um, and we wound up using both studios simultaneously. Of course, all the strings were in the big room, all social distanced. Um, the whole thing was crazy. Um, Can't imagine. But it was a magnificent sounding recorded. Of course, everything took twice as long yeah. because uh, we had to do it. We actually had strings in the big room, woodwinds in the small room, and then we have brass in the big room and percussion in the small room. Or we might have done them together. Um, and then, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. And Pete Cobham was brilliant with how he, um, how he put this together. And then Dennis Sands mixed it. And we didn't know exactly how it would turn out, but it turned out to be a fantastic overall recording experience. So, so that was great. Yeah, the, and the, the score is brilliant as, as usual and you add your flair to it and it's so wonderful. Um, so just speaking about Robert Zemeckis, you know, as we talk about Back to the Future, I mean, you guys have worked together on almost every one of his features since, was it Romancing the Stone, I think was the first one? It's been every, every one since Romancing. So at this point in your career, um, I mean, looking at witches and going all the way back to then, I think we talked about this in one of our past interviews, but I'd love to just kind of touch back on the subject. How has that relationship, I guess, evolved over these years? And as it got to the point, how does he direct you at this point versus, you know, back then when you guys were much younger versus now? Is it does he have full trust in you or how's that, that kind of collaboration work these days? Well, you know, Bob's always been, a, you know, as you would expect, he's always been full hands on. Um, and trusting someone, um, you know, I think, I think where that comes in is 
trusting someone in terms of their willingness to engage in the process um, enthusiastically and knowing that there's a lot of love and respect and consideration. That being said, um, Mr. Zemeckis has to get things the way he wants them. And he's not shy about uh, picking up the phone after I send something to him and going, hey, you know, Al, uh, I, think, I think you're 180 degrees off on this. It doesn't need to be this. It really needs to go in this direction. And then I go in that direction. So um, it's, it's great because I never feel threatened by him. I never feel defensive um, because I know he's, he's got so much on his plate, so much pressure. Um, so many forces that he actually protects me from. Yeah. I don't have to be out in the midst of that storm. He puts me off somewhere and makes sure I'm warm and snuggy and, you know, well-fed and happy. Uh, and then he goes out there and puts on his flak jacket and his raincoat and weathers the storm up on deck. Um, and I do everything I can to to help them. And that's the relationship, which has been unbelievable all these years. It's amazing. Yeah, you guys have made such such amazing work together um, on all the films that you've worked on. But going now, talking about Back to the Future, which of course, you just, you know, congratulations on that musical finally opening yeah. after, I mean, it's mm -hmm. been a long road to get that made. But yeah. looking back at the original film, um, when you made, when you scored Back to the Future, you were 36 years old. That's right. Two years older than I am now, so I'm just curious. Okay. What were your what are your memories of that time in your life? Uh, how did you feel working on that film? And did you have any like how did you start feeling when that movie took off and became the cultural phenomenon that it, it is today? Well, you know that was I was 36, um, and I had done Romancing the Stone with Bob, so we had one of these movies under our belt. Uh, the demands musically for Back to the Future were very different. Romancing the Stone was more what they would say was it was more in my wheelhouse. Mm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of rhythm in it, rhythm section driven music. I was not someone who wrote for orchestra. As a matter of fact, I had only written one orchestral score maybe six months before Back to the Future, a little movie called Fandango. Um, so it was completely terrifying. Um, I was stressed beyond belief. Um, it was a big studio picture, so there was all of that. Um, but it turned out well. The movie did well. Um, we had had a little bit of a taste of success um, with romancing. It was a successful film, but yeah. not on the level of Back to the Future. Um, and so to be on that train was unbelievable, you know, to, to wake up one day and see the centerfold of the reporter and uh, variety. I don't know what the number was, but it might have been $115 million at the box office. It was incredible. And of course, then all you have is a hit 
movie, the iconic thing takes time. Right, like a right, fine right. wine, it takes yeah. time for something to, to kind of move into that world. And so that was another amazing uh, experience to, to see that movie um, go on in time. And then, of course, as you know, we wound up doing Back to the Future in concert. Yes. Where we got to go back, right, and revisit the movie. And more importantly, to sit in theaters, but now concert halls, not movie theaters, um, and opera houses with the orchestra and see the audience love that movie the way they had loved it 25 years before that was beyond thrilling. And then this musical uh, <laughs> is now, once again, back to the future, sitting in there with audiences loving Back to the Future. It's been incredible. It's, yeah, the, 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 the characters stand the test of time, the story does, the themes of the movie, the, the energy, yeah. the comedy, the drama, everything, the romance, and, and the score, of course, your music. I mean, we talked about it, I think, and you were breaking down the theme for, for us and everything. But when you, so how did, I know this, this journey for this musical started a while ago, but how did you decide to get involved and what was the process like when you finally began to start working on this and writing and uh, working on this musical, what was it like for you to take a film that you didn't and adapt? This is, uh, uh, this is your first stage play like adaptation? Yeah, we had, uh, we had bits of it in Polar Express. We had musical right. numbers that had to be written ahead of time. And then, you know, they required choreography and adjustments and, and then Bob shot um, to the music. Um, this, of course, was a full-blown musical. Um, it was Bob Zemeckis' wife, Leslie, yes, um, yeah. probably 14 years ago now, yeah. who uh, casually dropped the bomb. Um, hey, what about Back to the Future, the musical? And it's like, yeah, what about that? Okay, let's have lunch. And that was the fateful lunch with Bob uh, Gale, Bob Zemeckis, and Alan and Glenn Ballard. Um, right. Now, Glenn had worked with us, um, had worked with Bob and I on uh, Polar Express. I don't know if we had done Christmas Carol at that point, but so Bob was very comfortable um, with Glenn and loved his genius. And Bob Gale immediately fell in love with Glenn and his genius. Um, and it started at a lunch. What about this idea, Back to the Future? What does everybody think? And that's how we started. Where we got to quickly was, well, the movie, the story, the characters, it's all there. Yeah. So yeah. what isn't there is music. So you guys go write some music. And that's what Glenn and I did. We, we, um, we were completely free to proceed as we thought fit. Um, the guys were great like that. They didn't say, go write something for this and something for that. They said, go write some music and we'll have another lunch. 
And Glenn and I picked a couple of spots in the story because, of course, there was no musical, there was no book. Right. But there was some iconic, well, everything in the movie was iconic already, right? Yeah, yeah. So Glenn and I thought, okay, how do we even start? Well, it's got to be an opening number. It's a musical. Right. So let's start with that. Um, and we wrote uh, an opening number. It's only a matter of time. That's, that's not hard to, to figure out, right? Right. And then there were th these other amazing, you know, we, we felt very kind of stage-oriented um, bits in the original Back to the Future film. The family dinner is very theatrical. Um, and we thought, let's, let's write a song for the family dinner, and we're going to call it Hello, is anybody home? And, and so we did that. And then we thought, well, let's maybe pick another place. And we went to that famous scene when Marty wakes up after he's hit by the car and he wakes up in his mom's bedroom. And it's in 1955. Yeah. And so there's this, you know, delicious kind of risque element to that scene because Lorraine is his mom right she immediately she's already fallen in love with him as we learn in the film um she's already put his pants on her hope chest um <laughs> presumably while he was still unconscious um and um and he he knows hold on one second he knows it's his mom and and so we wrote a song called Pretty Baby, um, which is having just a lot of fun with the fact that he's completely freaked out that this is his mom. And she's just like in love with him and and trying to seduce him. So that's how we began. We wrote those three things. We called the Bobs. We went to see them. We had our lunch. And we played these three things for them, and they were literally doubled over laughing. <laughs> and we walked out that day going, Back to the Future can be a musical. That was 14 years ago. Right, yeah. You know, so a long, circuitous path. Um, but here we are. I mean, it's playing eight shows a week at the Adelphi and in the West End. Audiences are loving it. We literally have a standing ovation pretty much after every performance. Yeah. Um, yeah eight shows a week. So it's been, it's been amazing. And it's all back to the future. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's been incredible. I mean, to, to have that finally complete, was it, uh, did you find it challenging at all adapting? Uh, um, did you have to adapt any of your score to fill in like periods of the, of the, of the um the play as well and or the musical and or was it a was it a kind of itching a different creative part of your brain to formulate these songs and kind of make it flow and everything yeah it's all it's all a different kind of process in a sense um in some ways in other ways it's still storytelling with music yeah. um we 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 glenn and i um began by saying okay 
what do we have already? Um, what we had already were some really great songs. We had The Power of Love, sure, um, yeah. Back in Time, Johnny B. Good, yep. um, Earth Angel. So it's like, okay, we got that. Um, and then we had the entire score to the movies, to all three movies, really, although yeah. the musical is based on Back to the Future 1. But So these are all resources. Um, before we even started, um, then we had these three new songs we've done. So we started to go along. Bob Gale kind of took over the book writing uh, side of life. And it was, it was a, a, a real kind of collaboration, a give and take, um, a trial and error process. Sure. Yeah. Um, went on for a long time. There were songs written that never made it into the show. There were songs written at the very last minute um, before we opened in Manchester. And in terms of adapting score, we always thought it would be interesting. Um, fun's a kind of an interesting word. Um, it's not, not, none of it's really fun, but it's, <laughs> it's interesting, it's challenging and yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. Um, but we thought it would be really great if we could bring a little sense of underscore to a musical. And then the question is, how do you actually do that? Now, what we did wind up doing, which is amazing, is we're doing the clock tower sequence on stage with a real DeLorean and all the rest of it. And it's amazing how it's been staged. Our, our effects um, genius, our lighting genius, um, every, everything, our director genius, uh, John Randall, it, it's, it's um, so we got to do that and we have a magnificent band and then we, we did some very creative programming and we're doing, you know, you get to see Marty go back to 1955 from 1985 and it's, it's a big deal. And then you get to see something very special at the very end of the show involving the DeLorean. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, so, yeah, we, we kind of said, let's do it all. Let's do it all. That's amazing. So, I mean, looking back at, uh, you know, we mentioned that, you know, you started this Back to Future towards the beginning of your career and you've seen it now evolve into a stage musical you've gone back and worked and you know helped approve all these new remasters and releases of the scores um when you look back at it and you're working with, and you're still working at it now in your career and like readapting and reworking rearranging do you ever look back at the music and go uh are you like critical about your old work do you look back and go oh i would have done things differently that i knew now do you look back at it and go oh, i love what i did there like are you nostalgic for your the work you've done in the past or <laughs> well you know i can i can um I kind of have an acid test that will answer that, I believe. And, and the acid test was Back to the Future in concert. Mm. When that idea appeared, and that appeared from 
uh, Mike Gorfain, Jamie Richardson. Uh, they approached me about that and said, hey, you know, we're, we've started this new company and we think Back to the Future would be fantastic as an in-concert um, property. He said, but there's only one problem. I said, yeah, what's that, guys? And he said, there's not enough music in it. And I go, oh, so, uh, well, then I guess it's not going to work. Yeah, they said, well, yeah, it wouldn't work the way it is, but what if you were to write more music? I said, so you're, you're asking me about writing more music to what's considered a legendary near perfect movie. Um, and they said, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of asking that. And I said, well, okay. So who's going to kind of talk to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale about this? Well, you know, we, we thought maybe you could talk to them about that if you think it's a good idea. So as it turned out, I happened to be having dinner with both of those guys together the very night I'm having this conversation. Wow. And I, I, I waited till after the, my Caesar salad. Uh, and I finally got up the nerve and I said, hey, guys, here's a crazy idea. You know, I was approached about it in concert. Only thing is, there's not enough music. And they're like, yeah, so? I said, well, the guys want me to write more music. And they said, well, so write it. I mean, it blew my mind how yeah. both of the Bobs were so willing to allow something here involving their movie. And they were both so fantastic. They were like, wait a second, you know, if people want to see what we did, then they go to a movie theater. This is a whole other world. This yeah. is a live orchestra on stage in a concert hall. It's not going to be the perfect mix of the movie. That's not the place to go to see what we did. It's right. the place to go see what this is. And they said, you do whatever you have to do to make that a wonderful experience in the concert hall. So I'm getting to the answer of your question here. So I thought, what, a, a, what an opportunity of a lifetime. I get to go revisit that score. I can write new music. I've learned a few things in the last 25 years and I can go and you know have fun. Here's that word again. I can have fun with that. And what I found was um, it was inappropriate to change basically a note of anything. Wow. So I went um, we, we, uh, we took material, um, we tracked it around. Jeff Carson was a magnificent help with all of that. And we, we had a number, we knew we had, to, we had to add about 20 minutes mm. of additional music. And, uh, and we did it and I didn't change any of it. And I didn't want to. Um, and it wasn't like there were mistakes in there or anything. Right. But I just felt, I don't, this, we shouldn't change this stuff. It yeah. is 
what it is and it should be what it is. Mm -hmm. And we did have to adapt it from the point of view of the size of the ensemble. Sure. Because yeah. we had a humongous orchestra for Back to the Future. Um, and we weren't going to have that as Back to the Future in concert traveled around to, um, to various symphony orchestras. So we did have to adapt that. Mark Graham was very helpful um, with, with a lot of that work. But I didn't, I didn't feel the need to change the original ideas, orchestrations, settings. It was, it was pure back to the future, just the way it was. And yeah. it was interesting. I, I, I was surprised. I could have done whatever I wanted. And uh, I did not want to change any of it. I think I agree with that too, because it's almost like you'd be tampering with the past, almost like you could, you had, you had an opportunity to go back and change yourself from the past. It's yeah. getting into a meta back to the future sure. thing, but yeah. and like rewriting history and almost kind of changing like, oh, and adapting yourself to whatever you are now. But I kind of, because it's like, you look at a photograph, you can't really jump into a photograph and change it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the best compliment I've gotten about back to the future in concert has come from people who know the movie rather well. Yeah, yeah. And they don't realize that we've added 20 minutes of music to the movie. They go, well, wait a second, that was always there, right? It's like, no, it was not always there. There was never music under the credits in the opening of this. Well, well, and that music in the, you know, in the, you know, the dinner with Lorraine is like, that was always there, right? No, that was not always there. So, you know, I think that's also part of the advantage of not going in there and messing with the original yeah. palette. Uh, it, it's, it, it's all of the fabric of Back to the Future. And it's, so it's not jarring or doesn't feel weird. Right. Yeah. I wrote one cue in the entire Back to the Future in concert. It was the little playoff at the end of the first act before intermission where, um, where Lorraine um, says, you know, Marty goes flying by on the skateboard and she says, I don't know. Somebody says, who is that? And she says, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. And there's like two bars of this little motor motif. Mm -hmm two bars, maybe four bars of just this little string motor. That's the only thing that was written, quote unquote, for that project. So yeah, yeah it's, it's wild. That's amazing. I mean, I still, I mean, I, uh, uh, in Burbank, you know, on Victory Boulevard, there's still the Burger King from that. <laughs> I was yeah. called the Back to the Future Burger King when we go yeah. pick up drive through there. And that's so I'm like, yeah. hey, Marty's house was right here. <laughs> yeah, no garage exactly. There, but <laughs> exactly and then of course going to the back lot and seeing that the they still kept that you know the back to the future square pretty much is kind of there still yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a classic piece of real estate absolutely 
Well, I mean, uh, just to, to wrap up a little bit, you know, we talk about Back to the Future, but you have also another kind of uh, classic that has developed over the years, of course, Polar Express, you know, it's that time of year now. Mm -hmm. um, and Polar Express has become this great tradition for families to, to gather around and watch. And right. Uh, and uh, how does, I mean, again, you have another, I think any composer or filmmaker or storyteller would love to have a holiday classic, you know, in their repertoire. Yeah. So yeah. how do you feel having that, watching that film kind of, take its journey into, into this world, yeah. You know, it's amazing. Um, Justin Freer has taken that and is has been doing the Polar Express in concert. Yeah, some uh, concerts, yeah, Justin Freer. Yeah, yeah. And we went to the first one up in Vancouver, which was last, you know, it was probably two years ago now. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, it was two years ago. You know, and Bob Zemeckis flew in and the audience loved it. It was fantastic. As recent as yesterday, I went into my granddaughter's kindergarten class. Yesterday afternoon, it was Polar Express Day at her school. The kids saw the movie before I got there and I had 60 kindergartners in a gym um, and we were talking about the Polar Express and they knew everything in the movie. So, you know, those, those kinds of things are, they're amazing to have in your, in your professional life. Uh, and that has become mm -hmm. this kind of perennial, uh, you know, it, it's something I've heard from so many people. It's not Christmas for my family until we all sit and watch the Polar Express. And that's that kind of thing is is amazing. Yeah, uh, and you get to yeah. share it with your granddaughter too. I mean, that's, yeah. that must that's something really special. I mean, to, oh, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm all of a sudden, you know, like you know, I'm her uh, I'm her hip pop. You know, she called me Mr. Pop. Mr. Pop. <laughs> That's a perfect name. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, she might be, they, they want to be formal when they ask you a question. Mr. Pop. Mr. Pop, what, what is like? it? Yeah, so it's all pretty great. Well, Mr. Pop, I want to thank you <laughs> so much for joining us, or joining me today, and and uh, and for everyone watching. And it's I'm, I'm happy to be able to close out the year talking with you, Al. It's always it's been a while. And uh, it's great to see you. And I'll be enjoying some of your beloved wine this holiday season as well. Fantastic. That's great. <laughs> well, look, it's always a pleasure for me. Um, you love what I do. Not, not me personally. All of us who do this, you love the art form of music for film. And it's, it's just a pleasure to talk to you about it. You always have you know, such a great understanding of what we're all trying to do here. It's it's an absolute pleasure. So have a great holiday and uh, enjoy the wine. <laughs>